Yep. Alrighty, beautiful. Welcome back, people. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year and all that good stuff. Before we get into some of the news that might be going on for the year, thought we'd chat a little bit about 2023, the year that was. Um, so Shane, I, I wanted to get Shane Oliver. We got his reflections of the year from online. He's an economist uh, for AMP. And I just wondered, Dad, could you just explain AMP? It's a bank, right? Yeah, it's, I think it's called Australian Mutual Provident and it was an, used to be in, like an investment firm from memory, um, been around for years and years and years, and they now have a bank. Um, yeah, got into banking probably about oh, 15, 20 years ago from memory, but um, don't quote me. Okay. Um, so his reflections of 2023, the, econom- uh, the economy fared more positively than previously thought, but he spotlights um, some pretty key concerns about inflation going into 2024. He says something that's probably typical uh, economist talk. He says he thinks the official cash rate has reached its peak, but a rate hike is possible in February. So he's sort of saying, you know, a few things could happen. A few focal points that could affect the economic outlook in a positive or negative way for our country in particular, from his words, inflation and central bank policies, a looming risk of recession, the status of the Chinese economy and the property sector. So I just wondered, like, do you want to share any thoughts on the focal points he mentioned, China and the central banks, et cetera, um, and then maybe yeah. explain how you think of how, how, how 2023 went and your thoughts on the coming mm-hmm. year? Yeah, cool. So, look, during 2023, there was all this talk of things that, you know, Armageddon again, again, you know, fixed rate cliffs and, um, you know, property downturns and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the property market went up, I think, on average about 8%, um, even though we've had 13 interest rate rises. So what's going to happen this year is a bit of an unknown. There's not, like, interest rates, as we've sort of talked about on the podcast ad nauseum for the last couple of years, interest rates do impact the property market because you have, um, you know, because they influence borrowing capacity. So, yeah, we had clients, you know, 2020, 2021, when interest rates were at 2%, who could borrow, say, 700 grand, now can only borrow like 450 to 500. So, yeah, there there is is an impact, but often it's overstated because there's lots of other things going on. So, like they're talking about a, a slowdown in China. There was a story in the um, Fin Review this morning about a couple of the mines that are shutting in WA because of um, reductions in um, base metal prices for for things like lithium and that sort of stuff. And that um, Alcoa, who make um, aluminium, one of their big mines is going to close down at the end of twenty twenty four. So it's hard. It's hard to know. Like in China, they're spending a lot of money to pump up the economy because um, of the issues there with the ha- with housing over there. But um, yeah, how it's all going to play out, I'm not too sure. My thoughts for the coming year, I actually don't think it matters too much what happens this year or the next year. If, you, if, you, if you're in property, like if you're buying a place to live in, it's an emotional thing. And you, yeah, you can either live at home, you can rent, or you can buy a property. So if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're looking to the future to say when you're my age, which is um, a bit older than that, if you 
property in 20 to 30 years' time, when you're looking to retire, is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than it is now, like truckloads more than it is now. It's just supply and demand. And, yeah, we're looking at an extra 10 or so million people being in the country through immigration and birth and staying and people living longer um, over the next, you know, 20 or 30 years. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of stuff around on what's going to happen this year and what's going to happen next year, but property is a long-term thing. If you want short-term, you're probably better off on the share market or in crypto or at the TAB or in sports bet because property is a long-term thing. So I, I just think the the fundamentals for the property industry are very good. Everyone's sort of thinking rates might have peaked. You know, once rates do start dropping, you know, borrowing capacities increase and people get less nervous about the people who sit on the fence are less nervous and jump in, which increases demand. We have, you know, la- critical lack of supply. We have... Uh, three levels of government bumbling around trying to fix the supply issue. You know, household sizes are reducing. Yeah, I just think, I just think, you know, Simon Presley, good friend of the show, just talks about safe as houses. And, um, you know, I just can't see them. Yeah, you know, there, there might be time. In the last 30 years, Damo, there's been four years when property has reduced, you know, property value has gone down. One was GFC, one was during covid so apart from like major economic shocks and um, pandemics, you know, properties generally just increased in value. And I think with just, you know, the number of people coming in. And the other thing is with, with inflation, sorry, with inflation, as we reduce immigration, that will basically show that we're in a recession, which I think we are. I think we're in, they call it a technical recession or a per capita recession, but we're in a recession. You you don't allow five or six hundred thousand new people to come into the country and um, you know pump up spending um, on a per capita basis. We're spending less. So once that sort of starts filtering through, I think rates will drop and um, you know, demand will go up and prices will will continue to rise in most places. But anyway, who who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And talking on the dwelling values or house prices, I thought we could break down yeah. a couple of how property uh, fared uh, in 2023, yeah. just from that perspective. So dwelling values in 2023 across the country increased 8.1%. That's the average based on uh, they've collected all the stats for the year across the country. So that obviously has a bit more of a weighting towards Sydney and Melbourne, but the other smaller cities yeah. are included in there too. So it exceeded the inflation rate, but was a le- it was a lot drama- less dramatic. Obviously, we had price falls in 2022 uh, and we had price explosions in 2020. Um, 24% across the country. So at 2023's end, breaking down a few of the capital city's price performances, and keep in mind, I'll tell you where where Sydney has gone to, where Melbourne has gone to, and a few other cities. Um, but keep in mind that those cities peaked at different pri- uh, at different points in 2022 and 2023. So Sydney. At the end of 2023, Sydney is 2.1% below its peak, which was back in January of 2022. Melbourne is 4.1% below its March 2022 peak. The ACT is 6.3% below its record high that it happened in 2022. Hobart is down 11% from its peak, and Darwin is 2.8% below their peak as well. From this article, a big point of contention for what's in store in 2024 is 
how that that Housing Australia Future Fund might happen and how that might fare. Um, it's expected that the funds that is generated from that Housing Australia Future Fund, if any have been generated, will be available in the second half of 2024. Construction costs have definitely eased, but they haven't come all the way down to pre-COVID levels. A lot of construction companies are liquidating, which might add further stress to an industry that's struggling, it looks like already. So should be interesting. And obviously, some property markets have performed a lot better than others from that perspective. So it'll just be, it seems like a lot of people are expecting the market to fare pretty well this year once people have gotten used to like maybe having a little less money to play with if they're borrowing from a bank um, with these higher rates. But also if rates drop, like it seems like whenever rates drop even a little bit, consumer confidence comes back, which means more people try and buy a house, which means prices rise. So yeah, yeah, that seems yeah, logical yeah, dem- too. Yeah, demand's up, supply's pretty low. Um, I think we're at you know ten or fifteen year record lows. I heard something on the radio this morning. It might have been the lowest number of approvals in a year since twenty twelve. Um, yeah, there's more apartments. Um, yeah, the apartment numbers look all right, but um, not everyone wants to live in apartments. So, well, yeah, we'll, do, we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But um, as I've sort of said, it's a long-term thing, property, whether you're you know, buying a place to like, like up until, say, about five or ten years ago, the average the average length of time people stayed in the house was like 12 or 13 years. Now it's, I think it's close to 20. So, you know, if you're buying a house to live in, on average, you're – on average, you, know, you might plan to sell it in five years and upgrade or whatever, but most people are going to stay in their house for a while. So, and I can guarantee you that in twenty you know, in twenty forty four, you know, no chance I'll be here. But um, or yeah, I may not be here. But in twenty twenty four, I'm sure prices will be a lot higher than they are. So, what do you, you mean? Know, now, sort of, it's twenty twenty four now. Do you mean another year? Sorry, twenty forty four. Sorry, twenty forty four. Yeah, in yeah, in twenty years, um, you know, the, if um, you know, rents are going up, yeah, everything's going up, um, so yeah, and yeah, supply is not keeping up, so yeah, okay. Um, Arjun Paliwal, friend of the show, he runs a company called Investor Kit, where he helps people buy uh, investment properties, um, that sort of fit what goals that person has for for property investing, and he had this step by step guide that you can find online for first-time investors. So I'm going to go through his steps and his notes and then maybe get you to explain your thoughts on what he says. So step one, understanding your goals, defining an objective of why you're trying to invest and what you're trying to get out of it and assessing your risk tolerance, obviously, because you can invest in different ways where maybe there's more risk on you if anything goes wrong with the investment or lowering your risk, but maybe seeing lower returns from from that perspective. Step two, conducting market research to identify growth areas and understanding what property markets are, are doing. Securing finance, which is sort of where the mortgage broking side of it comes in with us, like understanding your mortgage options, getting pre-approval and knowing what budgets you need to understand before you're doing anything with property, choosing the right property that includes the type, location and the condition of the property. Step five is managing your investment, understanding property management and getting regular reviews of a property to figure out, you know, am I charging enough rent? Could I charge more rent and it helps me cover more of my costs, et cetera? 
Um, and the last one is planning for contingencies, setting money aside for unexpected expenses, for things like repairs. Um, maybe your property will be vacant for a couple of weeks. Are you financially prepared to handle a vacant property so you don't have to lose your investment uh, interest rate rises and things like having extra money ready to go if you're falling into having a property that's negatively geared. So I just wondered like your thoughts on it. You, maybe you could touch on like why it's smart to have a bit of money set aside to handle mm. higher payments and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, so, well, it's a good um, process, you know, to sort of go through rather than almost a lot of people, you know, they sort of go, oh, I'm going to buy an investment property, jump onto a calculator or talk to their bank or talk to a broker and, you know, work out how much they can borrow and then go spend to that budget. So, um, you know, Arjun and a lot of the buyers, agents and, you know, people from PIPA, the uh, Property Investment Professionals Association, you know, their members take you through like a structured process, which is good. You know, what, you know what's, what's your objective? You know, look at the growth areas, um, understand what's happening, you know, not necessarily buying in your own backyard, which a lot of people do. So they've got all their eggs in one basket, which is, you know, which is not, not you know, typically a good thing. Um, and, you know, reviewing it, um, having a good property manager looking after it and making sure the place is, um, you know, kept uh, tidy and well-maintained so it can attract quality tenants because, um, you know, that's where, that's where you're going to make make a lot of your money. You'll make money through capital growth, but um, also, you know, if you can if you can have regular re rent reviews and those sorts of things. But always, like with everything, you know, when you're just living generally, just having a, a bit of a rainy day fund in case anything happens is, is is a good strategy. If you're a homeowner, you can usually sit that in your offset account so you're getting a double whammy of having the money plus it's saving you on interest on your home loan. So, yeah, it's just it's just smart smart to do it. You know, if you have you know, like your rainy day fund, if anything happens, um, you know, car motor blows up, need a new fridge, um, you know, roof leaking, shed falls down, that sort of stuff. Or, you know, or if you're renting, you know, you might get, you might, the the, the owners might want to sell. Um, so, you know, you're going to have some costs of moving and that sort of thing. So it just, yeah, it's just smart. Yeah, okay. You had a couple you wanted to cover, right? A, a couple of like, I feel like we had yeah. some stuff from Rich Harvey about property trends to watch and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, So Rich Harvey puts out a, he's from Property Buyer. So you can find him, propertybuyer.com on or.com.au online and he puts out a video every month and you know it's usually pretty good it's only a couple of minutes um and he's saying that there's going to be seven trends to watch and now look remember when you're watching anything online or listening to anything most people have an have a um an angle or there might be something that they want to influence you to do so you've got you've got to just sort of you know, think it through. Just don't take it all, all as gospel. You know, we're getting heaps of stuff from, um, you know, different buyers, agents where they say, you know, they've found the property hotspot in Australia and blah, blah, blah. And you, you just just sort of, you know, put it, put it into the knowledge base that you have, but just sort of go, yeah, okay, does that apply to me? Um, they're talking about, um, you know, there'll be further population growth, even though there'll be less migration. Um Interest rates probably likely to be lower, and you know some of the banks are saying the cash rate might be 
um, that inflation currently, I think, in the fives might be around 3% in the next couple of years. So you know, rates are expected to be a lot lower. Um, there's a lot of people look for affordable housing you know, because of um, higher interest rates and lower borrowing capacities. Um, and you know, first home buyers are going to seek out seek out cheaper options, which has sort of happened for years. We've talked about this before that you know, usually when people buy their first home, it's not normally their forever home. It's just something to to get them into the market and that they might add some value to and, and sell later to, to upsize. Um, they expect prestige properties to um, be okay because a lot of um, a lot of buyers of prestige properties buying cash. They don't need loans. There'll be more downsizing. I think this will be a huge trend because I think there'll be people my age, um, you know, late fifties, early sixties, who are going to be looking to retire and find that they don't have the cash. So they'll, but they might be in a property that they own that's worth a couple of mil. So you can um, sell that downsize in your area or somewhere a bit cheaper, put some money into super and uh, get on with the, you know, the rest of your life. More people, another one is a single um, person households, that there's more single people. Sorry, there's more people living by themselves than, than probably ever before. There's people getting divorced later in life, especially. Um, so we think they think that you know, single occupancy homes could be, could be um, a big demand. And that there's also students, um, but if if the number of overseas students reduces, well, that could that could uh, reduce some of the pressure on the rental, rental market. So just some things there that you know, when you're looking at where you, if you're going to invest, um, you know, you can sort of go, okay, well, I know, I know John Linderman, who's been on the show a couple of times. Um, some of the areas he picks as um, growth areas are the ones that downsizers are going to be moving to because they're cashed up and they've got money to spend. So that's um, that's interesting. Um, something that comes through on Mortgage Business Demo, which was interesting, was around southeast Queensland must be ready to house 2.2 million more people in the next 20-odd years. So, you know, we're pretty bullish on Queensland as a place to invest as long as, you know, you, you're just aware of the risks, especially around flood cyclones and that sort of thing and, you know, mining towns. Um, but yeah, an extra, you know, 2.2 million people that equates to 900,000 new properties and about a million extra jobs. So mm. the the economic fundamentals for Queensland look pretty, southeast Queensland look pretty cool. But what what normally sort of happens with this is if if um, property prices in southeast Queensland go up, you'll have people who live there who go, well, maybe we should sell up and move. Um, so then they're moving to areas further up the coast, you know, Sunshine Coast, Bundaberg, Townsville, Mackay, Gladstone, those sorts of areas. So quite quite interesting there. The trends we've done, one of the ones that I just want to mention is around the, the it's called BOMAD or the Bank of Mum and Dad. Uh, it's the fifth biggest lender and in the last 12 months parents have helped their kids to the tune of $3 billion to get into property. If you're struggling to get a deposit together, you, know, you might be renting and paying quite big rent, so you can't actually afford to put money aside for a deposit, but you have the borrowing capacity. Um, we help lots of parents and kids 
Uh, lots of kids get in the market with the help of their parents, so long as it's in the parents' best interest because the parents do need to get legal advice. But, um, yeah, it's a limited guarantee offered by the parents on their property. So the bank takes a mortgage on two properties. But um, there's, a, there's other options for helping your kids if you're into that thing, you know, advanced inheritances, uh, gifts, those sorts of things. So we, we we'll, I think there'll be more of that because a lot of parents would like their kids to live near them. But, you know, if the, if the parents are in, um, you know, Turak, um, not much chance of a kid being able to afford Turak or somewhere within five or ten minutes of Turak without without support. So um, the last one, Damon, it was a great propertyology. Um, I'd really encourage people to um, sign up for their um, insights and alerts and news because it's just brilliant stuff. But um, Simon Presley, who's like the He's like the doctor of property in Australia, looked at like 80 years of property market dynamics and he went from basically um, First World War, Depression, Second World War, all the you know oil crisis, oil shocks, GFCs, rampant inflation in the 80s, which a lot of people's parents would be familiar with and you know, the um, GFC and the pandemic and that sort of stuff. And he said there was about eight things that, just constant that you re- really need to sort of keep in mind. Affordability is the key driver of um, which you know that's that's not really rocket science. You now, if you're if you can't afford something, you can't buy it. You know, so that's that's not really. But it's just something that people lose sight on. Um, migration, you know, can can drive property markets in different ways. Wages we've had over the last year pretty decent wage growth. Um, even though it's still less than inflation. So people have been going backwards. Number of houses being constructed, because that impacts the supply. Taxes on real estate. Um, yeah, there's still a big push to try and get rid of st- state stamp duties and have a bit of a broader base land tax. So I think there'll be a more of a push for that coming through. If it was me, I'd go further and just abolish state governments. I think the days of Australia needing three levels of government are well gone and we shouldn't you know, go to the UK model um, where you've got like, you know, the the federal, the the sort of the federal government and um and uh the the or well, not really the councils, um the Shires and you know Hertfordshire and those sorts of things. Um the rental pool. There's less rentals available now than there were about 10 years ago, and we've got 1.3 million more people, hence rents are going up, and that's why we've seen a big demand demo in our business for first-home buyers getting in because they're just sick and tired of paying high rents. Adversity and attitudes, that's more of just a general comment on um, people's um, willingness to um, delay consumption now for a longer-term gain, you know, short-term pain, longer-term gain, and also attitudes around, um, you know, who should be providing housing for, you know, so- social housing has, the, you know, the governments have dropped the ball on this, and it's, it started with um, the coalition government, um, you know, when, when they got in, and, you know, we, it was around, from memory, around 10% of housing was, um, social housing was provided by government, um, now it's about 3%. And, yeah, we've got NDIS housing soaking up rentals and, you know, lots more people in the country. So, the, you know, there's, there's lots of things, um, um, you know, the thing, the rental pool 
1950, you know, three out of 10 households depended upon rental accommodation and the total volume of government provided rental homes in 1976, so, yeah, 28 years ago, is the same as it is now. So, yeah, they've definitely dropped the ball. And the you know, population's increased by 11.5 million people. So, yeah, no wonder we've got a homelessness crisis. Um, so anyway, that's, that's just some things. But um, his articles, you know, what can we learn from history? Because, you know, I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, if, uh, if you don't learn the lessons from history, you, you'll, you'll uh, repeat the mistakes. But um, anyway, en enough of that. But I suppose the thing is for people thinking, okay, what am I going to do in 2024? Our advice is pretty similar. Control what you can control. You can control your spending. You have a bit of control over what you earn because you can, yeah, maybe go for promotion, move jobs, yeah, do overtime, get a second job, those sorts of things. Um, yeah, you have definite control over what you spend your money on. So, yeah, a good starting point is look at your last couple of months of statements. You know, if you if you if you strip out what you spent on the um, November sales and at Christmas and Boxing Day, but just, you know, and the things that you have to spend money on, just try and get the best deals for them. Use Petrol Spy, use the insurance apps to compare insurance. Um, and, um, yeah, if you need help with any of that, just uh, just give us a shout. Easy. Well, yeah, well, um, obviously the main business that we do that, when we're not doing podcasts is the money saver home loans thing, right? So if you're trying to get into um, buying your own place to live in or to invest in, you need to get, uh, unless you've just got cash, you would go to a bank and you'd ask to borrow money from the bank and you'll pay it off at a certain interest rate. And mortgage brokers are middlemen that help you guide through that process, um, help set you up with the best option, for your specific, you know, circumstance, because not all banks are going to cater to all people. Um, so that's where sort of mortgage brokers come into play. So if you want to learn more about that side of things, just go to moneysaverhomeloans.com.au uh, and you can learn more about it from there. So we'll talk to you next time. There'll be a bunch of new content coming out from now, now on really. So hope you enjoyed your break and we'll talk to you next time.